Hello, and welcome to the eTech Podcast with me, your host, Ryan Morn. I have been involved in the development of electrified vehicles and machines since 2005 as an engineer and a business leader. This podcast is the product of my passion for electric and autonomous vehicle technology. I'm here to share knowledge from some of the world's leading experts, as well as my own insights. Join me as we accelerate the transition to cleaner, safer and smarter vehicles and grow the industry around the world. Now, today's podcast, we've got something a little bit different for you. We had the opportunity to talk to Paul Butler, who is a great chap, longtime friend of Avid, and he's also the CEO of the Northeast Automotive Alliance. Um, we talked to Paul about electrification and its impact on members of the Alliance and what their big challenges and problems are moving forwards. So a little bit different from our normal podcast. Hopefully you'll find it interesting and useful all the same. So without further ado, here we go. Interview with Paul Butler. Okay, um, so Paul, uh, could you tell me a bit about yourself, your background? So, um, my background isn't in automotive. I spent uh, 10 years within one of Europe's most successful uh, clusters, NEPIC, Northeast Process Industry Cluster. During my time with NEPIC, I became a cluster expert for uh, for the uh, for NEPIC, and then also um, sat on the Cluster Excellence Expert Group within Europe. Um, you had to be a gold label cluster to be part of that. Um, and then as a result of that, became a benchmarking expert for Europe as well. So I'm still the only benchmarking expert for cluster management excellence here based in the UK. Um, what's, a, what's a cluster? <laughs> <laughs> uh, clusters really first introduced by Michael Porter, um, Harvard academic. Um, and they're basically groups of interrelated businesses that are driving wealth creation within a region. Oh, right. So um, one of, an easy analogy really is a um, trade association, but focusing specifically on a uh, region. Okay, right. So NEPIC was a cluster, but what does NEPIC stand for? Northeast Process Industry Cluster. So it's right. covering the chemical, pharmaceutical, biotech industry. Um, as a result of a project I was leading for NEPIC at the time, um, I started working with the automotive industry to look at setting their cluster up. Right. Once the, the interest was gleaned from uh, key industrialists, we then started working with them to make sure they set it up against European best practice. And at that point, the board uh, recognised they'd got all the automotive experience they needed around the table, but needed somebody who understood clusters. So I, I was asked if I um, wanted to apply for the position. And here I am today, nearly four years in, um, sitting and um, we're, we're now the largest automotive cluster in the UK and probably seen as the exemplar cluster in the UK as well. Right, so the Northeast Automotive Alliance is the largest automotive cluster in the UK? It is, and actually we achieved that within 11 months of launch. Oh, wow. Such was the appetite for an organisation like this. So what, what you know, tell us, what, what is it that the, the North East, should we abbreviate it to the NEAA? Yeah, is that, yeah, is that yeah. Okay? The NEAA, yeah. tell us what the NEAA does, um, what, what, what's it all about? So we, we look to try and improve regional competitiveness, so um, we were really set up to be industry-led to drive that regional competitiveness and to work together to identify common challenges, common issues and um, opportunities for growth for the region. So when we launched, we sat down and worked with the key industrialists to identify the key thematic areas we'd focus on. Right. Um, that's network and connectivity, understanding the true size of the automotive industry, 
understanding the regional capability. Um, business excellence, so that's about sharing, identifying and sharing best practice. Yeah. Uh, innovation technology, so how can we support companies to innovate more, both in terms of manufacturing innovation, but also then in terms of the vehicle technology element and how we can really strengthen that within the region. Uh-huh. Skills, uh, another key area for, for us um, and has been the number one hot topic uh, ever since we launched and trade and investment as well. So within those groups, five thematic areas, we currently have 13 working groups with about 160 industrialists committing their time to work through these groups on these common issues or these common common challenges. And that's really the power of the cluster. It's us being able to pull the industry together to focus on these activities and really look at uh, addressing those and and capitalising and maximising opportunities that we have. So when and when you say industrialists, that that's I mean that that will be people other people like me I guess so people it who is. are running automotive businesses um, of all different shapes and sizes. Um, so what what is a typical member company? Uh, it varies from your major OEMs such as Nissan and Komatsu through key tier ones all the way down into SMEs like yourself who are growing rapidly. Um, they tend to be the companies who are more, uh, are more proactive and sit on the, the various working groups. Yeah. And then we have a, a, a lot of member companies that are from the service sector. So right. these are organisations who are already working with the industry but are supporting as okay. opposed to manufacturing products. So even the big OEMs like Nissan and Komatsu would sort of be they're, they're members and they, they then effectively then working together to help each other be they do in actually one of the first best practice um, transfers mm. um, we had was uh, was Nissan uh, and Komatsu so mm. Komatsu um, have got fantastic health and safety um, uh, record and also procedures and they did a best practice transfer into, uh, into Nissan oh wow and that I mean it people are often surprised in fact the last I've been traveling overseas the last few days and we always end up explaining the Northeast you're like oh isn't it hard to recruit people up there or is there is there anything other than trees and you know but the 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 automotive industry in the Northeast is massive isn't it it is yeah um, we, we did some analysis when we first uh, launched the cluster and we've identified just over 230 companies that are in the direct supply chain so mm. these are companies making product that finishing in the final uh, vehicles um, those companies are turning over just over 11 billion yeah and wow. employing about 30,000 people directly so wow. it's it's huge okay Nissan are at the forefront of all of that and yeah. certainly when they came into the region in 1986 they've been the catalyst for the growth and expansion of the sector but we do have uh, some real strength within the region as well and we've got tier ones who uh, who are based in the region who are not even supplying UK automotive? It's a hundred percent export. Right, and there's a few. So the bigger the OEMs, Nissan, Komatsu, Caterpillar, um, big Cummins engine plant yep. as well down in Darlington. So there's there's a, there's a huge amount of automotive activity of all different levels, isn't there? Did it? Does it, I don't know. I heard once someone tell me that um, there's more cars made in the northeast of England than there are in the whole of Italy. Is that still that, the uh, right number? Unfortunately, that... it's it's not um, true now. Right. Italy's increased production. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, we Nissan themselves are responsible for about thirty percent of all UK um, volumes. By far and away, the largest plant in the UK, producing approximately five hundred thousand vehicles. Um, 
we should see some significant growth over the next few years as well mm-hmm. um, as the new models for Duke Qashqai and X-Trail uh, come forward. So on on the back of that, new investment into the northeast. So we, we have kind of been protected a little bit from the Im- impacts of um, Brexit where we've, we've, the UK as a whole has seen a, a decline in investment. But because of the new model allocation, companies are winning business and they've got to invest to uh, to look at meeting those future um, challenges. And, and, and of course, one of those big things is electrification. And and it's, it's come up a lot in the last couple of months because there's been a press around new battery plants uh, in Europe. I mean, so not even just the UK, people talking about the first gigafactory in Europe. You're like, no, 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 no. And a lot of people don't realise there's a massive battery plant attached to the Nissan factory in Sunderland, right? There is, yeah. And that, yeah. How, that was built a long time ago, wasn't it? So it, it was. I can't remember the uh, uh, the date, but it's something like a £500 million investment by Nissan to build a battery facility. Um, on the back of that, um, it's it's going through sale at the moment so yeah. uh, Nissan are di- divesting from that but it's a strategic reason as to as to why looking at the future growth in the electrification um, the battery plant will need investment to, to look at ramping up production to meet those future uh, growth targets because they make all the cells in the Sunderland plant that are used in the European Leafs and the van the, and the uh, van the as well yeah. Yeah. yeah so they actually export bat- batteries from Sunderland that go to Spain to go into the van so that's they do yeah. um, I, I believe they're also bringing in cells um, and batteries from America to meet the right. European demand um, such has been the success of the new Leaf right and of course that's the Leaf as well is built at at the Sunderland um, plant. It is, yeah, most successful uh, electric car in Europe. I think we made, well, last year we made about 20% of all Europe's electric vehicles were produced at Nissan Sunderland. Wow. And I suspect, due to the success of the new Leaf, that it'll be a, a much greater proportion. Yeah, I've got to admit, I, I uh, didn't really like the first Leaf. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it in a lot of ways, but I didn't like it in other ways. But the new one is just as stunning car I mean yeah. it's, you can't you can't fault it uh, it is a fantastic car and I've had the, um, the pleasure of driving it as well so mm. uh, I had it on on loan for about a week um, a superb car full of latest technology and gadgets yeah um, but it was a real pleasure to drive as well mm. um, took it down the A1 it's got first stage of uh, uh, driverless technology yeah so it will you can put it in adaptive cruise control set it off and it'll follow the uh, um, the lane markings right you just have to grab the steering wheel every 15 <laughs> seconds otherwise it will come to a controlled stop wow that's pretty cool <laughs> and it, the only real problem of course with Leafs at the moment is the waiting list massive because it it's such, been such a sort of runaway success yeah. I've been looking at getting uh, one recently and I think it's the nine month wait I was quoted right so. nine months now yeah uh, it's going up <laughs> yeah it's, it's been a phenomenal success and I believe there's uh, they're looking at production volumes and seeing whether they they can be increased um, and it has the potential of being the the second highest volume product in um, Nissan Sunderland and which is remarkable for an electric vehicle yeah but it must be though helping them because of course they make a lot of diesel products at Sunderland and diesel engines and that's you know right now diesel's kind of not doing so well so the fact they've got the electric there must be, be a big big asset a big bonus for that plant it, it is um, I mean when you when you look at the product they're making there um, Qashqai most successful car in UK automotive history designed developed and manufactured here in the UK 
Um, we're, we're fortunate the Sunderland plant actually makes petrol engines. All the right. diesel engines are f uh, from Renault. Right. So when you look at hybridization and full full electrification, then actually we we've got an opportunity to grow the asset base here in the northeast and capitalize on those that hybridization, the petrol engines, etc. Yeah. Do you see? Um, so obviously, uh, beyond Nissan, in the other members of the NEAA, I mean, obviously we're avid a member and we're. We are electrification uh, mad, but it, it, how are the other members? What, what, what are they sort of, are they planning for, to change businesses or how, uh, what's going on there in terms of? Um, they are, and I think if, um, it depends where they sit in the supply chain. Obviously, if you're a major uh, tier one supplier, um, mm. supplying into uh, the likes of Nissan or some of the uh, off-highway companies, um, a lot of the technology development is done at uh, head office. Yeah. Um, so the, the plants themselves might be two or three years behind where the, the technology are. They're making the product for the current um, vehicle lineup. Yeah. But when you look further down the supply chain, um, and we've done some analysis recently about the uh, the vehicle technology capability in the Northeast, and yeah. um, we have some real, real strengths around power electronics, electric motors. Obviously, we've got the battery facility, the only battery facility currently producing in Europe. Yeah. Um, we do have some fantastic strengths that we can really look to capitalize on, and I certainly think the acceleration towards electrification and our existing capability stands the region in um, real good stead to look at growing and expanding yeah. and truly becoming an automotive powerhouse yeah oh I hope so <laughs> <laughs> we've been working uh, for long enough in that space it's it's sort of in some ways it seems a little bit surreal what's happened in the last year with with electrification because it's you know even just two or three years ago it was a completely different story, you know. I remember being out there trying to f convince people to do something as simple as just fitting an electric fan to a bus, you know. And four years ago, that was a really difficult sell. Whereas now, you know, OEMs from around the world are knocking on the door to electrify the whole powertrain. You know, it's really transformed. Um, it seems to be a very strong, very strong pull. And is there any? I don't know. Do you, you probably can't tell us any secrets that you might know, but. There's presumably going to be lots of other electric uh, or hybrid vehicles produced at in the northeast in the not too distant future. Yes, I, I would imagine um, we'll see new uh, announcements fairly soon um, on product. Um, but talking to some of the key industrialists within uh, the entire UK automotive industry, um, it was said uh, probably back end of last year that. Uh, an individual believe that uh, every single OEM in the UK will be fully uh, electrified by 2021 wow. um, which is remarkable but yep. certainly if you look at the diesel sales you can see it's market driven yeah. um, consumers aren't looking to buy uh, diesel vehicles at the moment um, yeah. which is a shame because certainly if you look at the um, uh, the latest diesel engines they are uh, very very efficient and, and clean but uh, clearly the market's going away from that and electric mm. electrification is the way forward yeah uh, yeah it's uh I've, I've sort of mixed i mean i've been an, an automotive guy my whole life and uh you know i can virtually tell you nut and bolt how to take apart and reassemble <laughs> some engines uh, yeah I remember lapping valves uh you know is it literally is a, a fun thing to do on a saturday as a child <laughs> but um yeah, the, the 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 shift is quite marked, and the the, the the public awareness of climate change now, I think, is a big thing. And obviously, uh, air quality 
really um, and, that, and how we, we tackle uh, those things and the, the with the electrification you sort of shift some of it but um, it's, it's still still obviously got big challenges in terms of the costs of the vehicles and the cost of the batteries and all the sort of elements that go into mm -hmm. that so it's still it's um, in some ways electric vehicles should be really simple but they're actually probably more complicated certainly more costly yeah. at the moment than a conventional car so the industry's got a lot of challenges um, ahead trying to adapt to all of that is is that the biggest challenge at the moment that that people see or, or talk about to you because you must be a shoulder that a lot of guys um, have to cry and, and I think um, just just the pace of change within automotive is uh, is remarkable. Not just electrification, but new technology around connected and autonomous vehicles. Right. Um, so we're expected to see more change in the next ten years than we have in its entire history. So if you think of the right. Tesla today compared to the very first car manufactured, yeah. And think of the technology advancements there. Yeah. Within the next ten years, we're going to see more change than that. It's um, it's quite impressive and uh, it certainly is very very exciting time to be involved in automotive yeah um it will bring with it significant challenges but it'll also bring with it some significant opportunities um we're heavily involved in working with the U the wider uk automotive industry to look at how we can capitalize on that we want to make sure that the technologies of tomorrow are designed developed and manufactured here in the uk so we work very closely with the Auto Council, the Auto Council Supply Chain Group, looking at those future technology um, trends yeah. and looking at the uh, the capability that we've currently got in the UK, looking for gaps and looking at how we can attract new companies into the region, uh, well, into the automotive sector. What kind of sort of levers do you have? What things are, what things are people doing to make sure that the new technologies being developed here or companies have been attracted there's uh, there's a number of key things so if you particularly if you look at the automotive uh, sector deal linked to the industrial strategy that's mm -hmm. clearly setting out the strategy for the uk to look at uh, battery technology to look at uh, electrification and to look at connected autonomous vehicles yeah. so it's right at the fore forefront of that and they really want to make sure that r d element is is anchored here so future manufacturing will take place in the uk right and do you see that happening? Is it up, is there more R and D activity starting to come? I, yes, I, I believe so. And certainly, just from looking from a northeast perspective, um, I think that twenty nineteen is going to be a very exciting year for us. We've mm -hmm. already seen announcements around the Centre of Excellence for Sustainable Advanced Manufacturing. Yep. that really is about supporting manufacturing innovation, and it will support new product um, development and and uh, process innovation there. Oh, okay, um, so that, that's quite interesting. That facility, that's just explain a little bit. So I know what that is, but I know a lot of people won't know what that is. So, so what's the what's that? Idea? So um, CSAM, as it's often referred to, really came around as a result of some of the work we're doing within the NEA around supporting manufacturing innovation. Yeah. It was widely recognised in the northeast that actually the closest centre offering a similar service to that is AMRC in Sheffield. Mm. Um, as a result of that, there's little engagement from the northeast companies to engage with these catapult centres of excellence to support manufacturing innovation, and therefore, um, the northeast companies weren't innovating yeah. um, quite as uh, at the, the lower levels. But also, um, they had a number of challenges to to try and meet. 
We developed this concept to try and develop a centre of excellence which would connect northeast businesses into research excellence across the entire UK. Yeah. It's been about two years in its making. Um, we've now got confirmation the building um, is, is starting to be built now on yeah. the International Advanced Manufacturing Park. Be a fantastic asset for uh, the northeast. It's yeah. about 120,000 square foot building, so a wow. significant and impressive building. But it's about supporting manufacturing innovation and helping companies be right at the forefront of those automation and process technologies. And the the the, the, the sort of challenge that was trying to solve, if if I understood correctly, was that in a lot of automotive uh, tier ones and, and supply chain, uh, the. F- they're in, the factories are so efficient, they're so lean, they kind of run, you know, not a, not a hair is out of place, not a penny extra is spent anywhere um, that doesn't have to absolutely be spent. So they are 100% completely, totally, utterly focused on the day job, the job at hand. But then that often doesn't give them the chance to experiment with with future technologies uh, they want to change a production line and put more automation or robotics in or use some new process they don't have any way to do it because their day-to-day business is so kind of constrained by delivering exactly the right amount of parts at exactly the right time to their their end customers. Exactly. So it, it ends up they're, they're quite risk-averse. Yeah. Um, you tend to find, or we've certainly found, that most companies were innovating at TRL levels 8 and 9, technology readiness levels 8 and 9. Um, two key factors. One, they don't want to try a new process or technology that risks stopping the line and therefore yeah. stopping production. And two, uh, quite often they're facing um, quite formidable um, financial challenges to win investment from the parent company. So yeah. some companies are looking for as little as a year payback. Yeah. So you're with CSAM, you're going to give basically a sandbox that people can experiment in but then also have like shared common resources and and sort of good links with academia and universities and exactly like really that. building that innovation capability, looking at uh, identifying common challenges that industry can come together, mm. share uh, share knowledge, share resource, share cost, develop a common solution, yeah. deploy a common solution, and then benefit from the ongoing uh, developments of that solution as well. Right. So. Things like AGVs, internal, external AGVs, connected autonomous logistics, things like yeah. that are starting to come to the fore. And of course, industrial digitalization is going to be a major part. Um, for uh, us. So that's um, AGV being, so everyone obviously gets obsessed about self-driving cars on the road, but then well, if, if anyone's ever been to a big factory, you'll see an awful lot of these little tug trucks driving around. There's a guy normally driving it, uh, towing trailers with parts on, and you have to make sure you don't get run over by these things whizzing around all over the place. And actually, there's a big push at the moment to, to use the kind of autonomous technology that's enabling autonomous cars on the road in those sort of on-site vehicles that are operating within a, a factory campus or an industrial campus. That, that's a big invest, that's a huge, like developing that sort of technology is, that's beyond any one company, isn't it? It is. Um, it is. You tend to find, um, well, we within the northeast, we've had instances where uh, a recent company who's deployed AGVs has actually benchmarked 
themselves against uh, a number of tier ones who've already deployed them. Yeah. Um, and because of the collaborative nature we've got as, as a result of the NEAA, they've been happy to share their experience and so on. So actually this tier one has managed to develop a, a, an AGV, um, which is about four or five times cheaper than what you can buy commercially. Which wow. is phenomenal saving for them. Yeah. It's it's just they've had to manufacture it in inside to meet that uh, themselves to be able to meet the payback periods. And people are talking about using it to do short deliveries as well, aren't they? Sort of from factories to factories. They are. So um, there's one organisation here in the northeast who who've done outdoor AGVs. So that's larger scale trucks uh, moving product between factories. Yeah. The next phase of that, and something we've started to look at, is connected autonomous vehicle logistics, particularly looking at the last mile logistics. Right. And we've got quite a unique test infrastructure here in the northeast. Yeah. Um, if you look at Nissan, it's the biggest plant in the UK. Um, it's going to grow over the next couple of years. We've got a high concentration of key suppliers that are yeah. either located on, on the perimeter fence or certainly within four or five miles of the plant. Yeah. So we, we've got three suppliers that are currently supplying on a private road. Yeah. So it's off highway, ideal for trials for cab logistics. You can yeah. then scale it up to um, to companies who are on the perimeter fence where there's a little interaction with the public road. You've yeah. got IAMP, which could be designed for uh, cab logistics as well. So you, you've got an opportunity to retrofit an existing infrastructure or design for purpose. Yeah. So it's quite, it is quite a unique test bed. And um, we've had Meridian up recently. They've seen the potential, so we're now in talks of how we might be able to develop this as a uh, potentially a UK test bed right. in that last mile logistics. Because obviously, at the moment, this stuff's all really hard to do because it's new and it's really expensive. So it's only like mass scale where there's an advantage. But as it gets cheaper and cheaper to do, it's going to become more and more practical for even quite small companies to implement this sort of thing. Yep. Um, yeah, w without a doubt. Um, key key to this is working with the right organisation. So if you think of the industrial strategy, mm. uh, the battery, the battery Faraday um, connection to Thomas vehicles is Meridian and CCAV. So working with those, and then in if we're looking at electrification, then the Stevenson Challenge, or as it's been rebranded to, is driving the electric revolution. Right these organizations will really push those technologies forward yeah um, there'll be investment from from the government in supporting the development of those technologies with the idea that we can anchor really be at the forefront but then anchor the manufacturing here in the UK yeah yeah those um, so for people not in the UK not in automotive those sort of different programs that Paul just mentioned are um, UK government um, so the UK government's got this grand industrial strategy and they said we want to do this at a high level and then we're going to do it through doing these sort of s smaller programs um, but even the, the smaller programs they've put you know hundreds of millions of pounds of funding towards research and in investment in those core areas that um, that form part of the industrial strategy and vehicle electrification is one big leg of that um, and another big leg is the connected and, and autonomous vehicles. So there's some huge uh, programs to, to try and stimulate investment that are actually supported by the government. And it's quite an unusual, because for many, many years we didn't have very much of that sort of thing in the UK at all. And then sort of a few years ago it's like someone went, aha, <laughs> we can do all this stuff and all these sort of grand um, 
schemes came out and this is, I mean a big I guess a big part of what you do is help companies navigate that because there's so much of it around it now. is yeah and certainly we we play a key role in trying to connect the pieces together yeah. um, if you take cab logistics for instance and you, you think of electrification well yeah. there's a, a, a strong synergy between the electrified propulsion for last mile cab logistics yeah. So the idea of being able to bring two projects together to work on that, if you're thinking of in industrial digitalization, there's a lot of activity taking place regionally yeah. and nationally. So how, how can you bring those programs together to make it much easier for businesses to access the right type of support? And that's a key role of the cluster. We sit on a number of groups regionally and nationally mm. and really try to be that... Um, that conduit through which businesses can get the right type of support and also to make sure there's efficiency in the system where um, it, there might be national activities and regional activities that are duplicated well we yeah. can pull them to the two together to make sure it's much better for for industry and I've got to say we you know we have has been a member of the NEAA for a while so obviously I'm slightly biased uh, <laughs> but um, we have accessed uh, some of the, um, the the knowledge transfer um, and and gone just I mean it's it sounds really fancy but it's as simple as running a workshop at a company that has best practice in a particular area. Lots of other companies go to the workshop. Everyone gets together, talks about their issues in health and safety or connected autonomous vehicles or whatever a particular thing it has to be, and uh, shares ideas, drinks some coffee, eats a sandwich, and then goes back to the day job. But it it's it's quite a simple thing. But actually, this the your ability to bring people together who wouldn't normally be in the same room uh, I mean for us it's been amazing because we've we've had access to and you know as a business we're scaling up but it, it allows us to see inside companies have already scaled and get access to sort of their what worked for them what didn't work for them that what the sort of pitfalls were and really has helped us massively get you know in, in our sort of scaling so far and as we're grow, continuing to grow as a business we're always talking about um, you know what we learned when we went to visit company X. I mean, it, like almost every day that comes up in conversations we're talking about plans for growing the business. So it's been a really, really useful um, tool for us. And it's, I don't know how you, without, because that's partly down to your team and how they facilitated that. I'm not sure if it's um, something that you could easily do anywhere else. I don't to, know. To be honest, it's, it's following cluster management excellent. Right. So we when we structured the NEA, it was very much following the principles of cluster management excellence. So we right. set the right framework up and it's much easier to, to succeed. We've also brought in the right talent as well. So if you look across the NEA team, yeah. we've got a very, very diverse but relevant set of skills. Yeah. Um, so we're able to draw on each other's ex experience and expertise. Two of my guys have probably got um, 50 to 60 years of experience in in the automotive sector in the northeast of England, yeah. very very well connected, um, but we're also finding companies um, who've been operating in this sector for a number of years that they weren't aware of. So yeah. it, there really is a lot of capability in the north uh, in the northeast, and part of our role is to understand that capability and then connect the companies as and when um, there's a business requirement. Lots of examples of that, lots of examples of knowledge transfer, of sharing best practice, not only best practice, but also not what to do as well, uh, avoiding some yeah. of those cost, costly <laughs> mistakes. Yeah, well, you could do, if we had a few not what, what not to do workshops, we could keep you guys busy for a week. Yeah. Do you think, I, I was wondering about this, um, 
when I was thinking about preparing for today, do you think there's an element, because it, it always strikes me that at these um, knowledge sharing workshops, you get an amazing amount of openness and honesty from everyone who goes. And I, did, I, I was sort of wondering, do you think that's, is that a Northern thing? You know, is that, or, or do you think actually if, if the, they're well run, you would get that anywhere? Um, I think it's a combination. Right. Um, I would say the North East is probably the most successful region for cluster activity. Right. If you look at NEPIC, it's the third highest ranked cluster ever within Europe. Yeah. Um, you then look at some of the other clusters, then um, we benefit from a tight geographical location. So yeah. it, it's a quite a tight community. Most people know each other. Um, but also, I think Northerners are more open and more friendly, so it, it, it does support that. We were very conscious um, right at the outset, so part of the, the work we needed to do when we were bringing the groups together was really develop that collaborative mentality, yeah. help overcome some of those um, initial barriers or concerns about uh, potentially sharing best practice. The key thing is it's about sharing um, <coughs> sharing ideas and information but not trade secrets. So yeah. when you look at a, a lot of the best tra uh, practice transfer we've done, it's really non-commercially um, sensitive information. Yeah, yeah, that must be a difficult balance to maintain for people showing people around your plant and trying to sort of not give any trade secrets away, but being... I mean, I, we, my guys love those events, so there's, there's a very... Um, there's always a good spirit. Well, I, I think particularly at a T1 level, um, when you look at a, a, the, the structure of an organisation, actually their biggest competition is their internal sister plants. So if <laughs> if a company right. wins the business, yeah, then it's up to them where they allocate that business or where that product's going to be made and then supplied into into the OEM. Right. Um, if you can upskill the northeast capability and um, really look at improving competitiveness, then. The, the northeast plants are going to receive more and more investment into those plants and that's a key um, target for us is to make sure the north the northeast plants remain highly competitive within their own organizational structure yeah there is a practice of global best practice sharing across the multinationals um, within their own organizations what we do is bring that global best practice to the fore mm. in the northeast mm. so we're bringing they share internally we bring it into the northeast and all companies benefit that's an interesting point though, actually that sometimes what two companies that might seem competitors to each other on their northeast plants aren't actually really at all that really the main competitor that plant is the sister plant within the same business to be trying to pick up that that manufacturing that's uh yeah i hadn't really thought of that before it's a big yeah. um big deal and they would they obviously um so what what's the you know what? What what's kind of keeping members awake at night at the moment? Um, what are the sort of big challenges that people have, uh, other than the obvious? Yeah, well, the the obvious uh, is Brexit. But until we we fully understand what the um, the deal is, yeah, or no deal, or um, remain, yeah, uh, it's hard to uh, uh, to specify what sort of impact it could have on the on the sector. Yeah. Um, Obviously, companies are doing their own scenario planning, and we leave them to to do that in global yeah. organisations. Um, 
I would say the biggest challenge, other than uh, the obvious, is uh, the pace of change within the, the sector. So right. how we're diversifying and accelerating towards this new technologies, electrification and connected autonomous vehicles, how that will impact the supply chain, yeah. um, looking at how we build um, capability. Skills is obviously another huge right. uh, challenge for for everyone, not not just the northeast, but across the entire UK. I get asked about that all the time. Actually, I was going to ask you if you hadn't mentioned it. I was going to ask you about skills because it, like, even this week, I've been asked several times about recruiting people in the northeast, um, and you know, is it possible and whatnot? Is it? What's what are the specific issues around skills? In is it getting? There's just not enough people in the region, or there's not enough professional people, or getting people to move here or not move. What's what's there, the there's a number of challenges um, at operator level. Recruiting yeah. the right number of operators is a challenge for for certain companies, but then it goes all the way through. If you think we. Um, a, a lot of the automotive companies came in on the back of Nissan. So 1986, yeah. Nissan came. A number of their tier ones came into the region. As they've grown, the uh, the supply chain have grown. Um, so you've got waves of people who were recruited into those organisations. A lot right. of those waves are coming up to retirement. So, and they tend to be at a high level. Now. Right. So it's how we backfill of that. Um, if you think about the new technologies, particularly the areas you're looking at, it's yeah. a completely different skill set. It's much more um, uh, technical and R&D focused. So how do we support the skills? So we, we're complete, we're working with a number of partners and we're completing a study on, on the future skills requirements of this sector yeah. um, and looking to put, put together a workforce development plan which should secure um, the, the right skill sets for this sector uh, to take us forward yeah our our, our um, challenge is, is often I mean we it's different to someone who's like a big manufacturing plant although we are becoming a bigger manufacturing plant and in some ways so we because we do have in the northeast this asset of these great universities and we've got uh, I'm gonna get this wrong five universities five, yeah. um, four kind of really close to where we are now and then Teesside a, bit, a little bit further away um, but um, they, they've got real strength in engineering and sciences, almost, well, all of them, really. Um, so at a graduate level, actually, there's a lot of people come to study in the Northeast who then want to stay, um, and you get some fantastic quality graduates. But then the, um, we, the, the, the challenge for us is attracting more experienced staff to move to the region. And we have this funny thing, and, and, and actually being in, in the cluster helps us that people from the UK, even even now, sometimes have these sort of preconceived ideas about what the northeast of England is like, and they don't know about the amazing beaches and the countryside and all of, you know this sort of thing, and uh, and they're a bit scared of moving here. Um, people from outside the UK tend to do a bit more research first, and then they kind of oh right, actually it's it's pretty nice there. <laughs> I'll give it a try. Um, but like convincing people to move here for us is one of the the main sort of challenges. And, and I, I kind of feel that like the more R&D companies there are, so perversely that creates competition for our staff, but also in a way helps to convince people that, um, you know, it, well, even if it didn't work out with that company, there's this, these other three companies that all do sort of similar stuff. And, and I think we're starting to see on the power electronics and the machine side, that there is like a, a growing cluster of, bi- of businesses 
and and it's weird because you end up telling you know you're trying to convince someone to come and work for you but you end up telling them how good all the other local companies are who do the same stuff as well just as a well you know don't worry <laughs> there's all these other people here but it definitely um yeah there's it's kind of really strange set of challenges on on recruitment and a partic- particularly convincing people to move to the northeast i'm not sure i mean you you moved here right you're not yeah as you can tell from my accent so um uh, originally from yorkshire moved up in 2001 yeah um so you're sort of a northerner but not sort of yeah (laughs) i've come back to uh, one side of my family's roots yeah born and bred in the northeast but um for me the it's a fantastic region to live um you've got everything on your doorstep Mm. um within within an hour you've pretty much got anything you want to do from um, mountains through fantastic coastline yeah. um, pretty much anything you want um, and a lot of people who do locate a lot of business leaders I know um, I've met over the years are from outside the region they've moved here and they don't want to leave themselves so yeah. it, it, once people come here it's great um, I do think you're, what you were alluding to around the clustering effect is one of the key benefits of a cluster. So as you start to grow and raise the profile of that uh, of the of the sector, more people see what's here in the region and yeah. are attracted by the the opportunities that it provides. Yeah. Um, so I, I do foresee as we grow, particularly we grow the new and emerging technology side of things, electrification and CAV. And we should see much more attraction into the northeast, into northeast universities, which ultimately will lead into uh, uh, a higher skilled workforce here. Yeah, with do more availability. Do you get much involved with the universities? Is that a big part? Of what um, you do, or? Yeah, obviously, with um, skills being one of the thematic areas we look at, yeah. we do have a, a graduate university group that so we're working very closely with the universities, and I certainly think the workforce development plan we're working on now will have a big impact on uh, on universities and the type of courses they want to provide to make sure we've got the right skill sets yeah. for, for industry. Because there's been a bit of a resurgence in science and engineering at university being, being not the right words, are being studied, like the uptake of yep. the, the courses all seem to be growing and, you know, kids at school now are more aware. I don't know if it's like the Steve Jobs effect or the, I don't know, but science is kind of like, uh, science and engineering is seen as being cool and interesting now no you know banking is kind of like bad and evil and <laughs> kids sort of migrating towards doing more interesting things and the, and um the, the I don't, know what, I don't know if you, you hear any different but the, the courses all seem to be growing quite strongly and there's more yeah and I, I think uh, a lot of that is down to raising the profile of stem subjects so if you mm. think back um it's it's now um probably 10 years plus that stems really come to the fore but it does take time for that um, to, to come through the system yeah a lot of there's a lot of activities around primary school engagement promoting stem subjects we um, support a number of initiatives and encourage our members to support a number of initiatives so if we can get out into those primary schools get them enthused by stem subjects as they come through the system we're doing more activities with them at secondary uh, level and then yeah. Um, but you'll certainly see by engaging them it does take time for that to come through and I think that's probably as a result that the university has seen a greater uptake of STEM subjects as a result of uh, or the, the higher profile for STEM yeah oh, excellent and is there anything particularly interesting going on on that side that you know 
new university developments or things that are coming through? That uh, there, there's talk around um, some activities in that area, but um, I think from our perspective, we really want to get the uh, workforce development plan um, right. finalised before we start engaging with the universities in, in greater detail to look at how we support the sector going forward. Yeah, yeah, cool. And so, so just uh, conscious of the time, we've, uh, as predicted, gone over 30 minutes. Uh, what's, what's kind of, what's, what one thing are you most excited about in the next, next year with the um, Automotive Alliance? Uh, just the exciting opportunity we've got for in 2019 around uh, Centre of Excellence for Sustainable Advanced Manufacturing, right. the driving the electric revolution, cab logistics, and really looking at how we transform the northeast from a, a region which is famed for its automotive manufacturing yeah. to one which becomes an, a true automotive powerhouse. Yeah. I always say that a cluster really does impact a region over the medium to long term. Mm. We're now coming up to four years in, in March. We're starting to see some of those early shoots of activity around sea salmon etc. So yeah. I think longer term we were really really exciting times and it's uh, it's a period of unparalleled change as well because of the the electrif electrification and um cav and the technologies and industry four as as uh, another one as well oh, fantastic great well it's uh we're aligned then. Uh, same things that I'm excited about, which is good. Uh, excellent. Well, thanks for your time, Paul. It's been really uh, interesting and uh, insightful. Um, good luck with the Automotive Alliance this year and CSAM and all the other exciting things that you're doing. No problem. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Cheers. That's all we've got time for today. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed this and found it useful, don't forget we've got loads of podcasts out there already um, talking about electrification technology in the automotive industry. Please don't forget to subscribe to our channel. Leave us a rating, leave us a comment, hit like. And also, if you've got any particular topics that you would like us to cover, people you'd like us to interview, um, make a note in the comments below. We'll send us a direct message about that and we'll try our best to, uh, to cover those things in the future for you. Thanks very much. We really appreciate your time. Have a good day.